Hello everybody and welcome back to Get Your Goat. Josh here. And today's going to be a simply straightforward show. I'm going to break down my top 10 corner backs in the game today and why having such a great cornerback is important in today's day and age. Then the Madden ratings have been released incrementally. I'm going to get into a few of those and the problem that I have with a couple of them. And then it's been a big couple days in the NHL, a lot of trades and signings uh, since free agency is now open. Moves have been made. I'm going to break down some of those key moves. So let's get right into it. And before I give you my top 10 cornerbacks, Xavier Howard, cornerback for the Miami Dolphins, has made a trade request. He says that he does not view, he does not feel valued or respected. Uh, he wants out. He says he's going to handle his business fair like a professional. Says he wanted team to allocate some money to him for his contract, but. That is not the case. He feels like he is one of the best cornerbacks in the game, which I agree with. He is, and he just wants a little bit more guaranteed money. That was it. He makes $16 million a year, but he just wants some of that to be guaranteed. And I see where he's coming from when you have guys like Darius Slay uh, that are ahead of him who are not even in the top 10 cornerback conversation, whereas Xavier Howard is one of the best right now. So he's requested a trade, asked for a trade. I don't know if he'll honor it, but who could make a play on him? What are some teams? Well, there's quite a few teams that could make a trade. Uh, The New York Jets, I think, would be a great one. They've assembled a decent offense, I think, through the draft and free agency to where they've identified their quarterback, their running back, some wide receivers, an offensive line. The defense, though, has serious issues. Salah, being the defensive-minded Betty coach that he is, could have Xavier Howard. He's had Richard Sherman, but having a cornerback in his prime like Xavier Howard could be huge for this team and this defense, even though... I don't think it'll happen because they are in the same division. Don't think Miami wants to face them twice a year. Another team, the Detroit Lions, they're a team that could use their services. They don't have any big playmakers on the defensive side. Jeff Okuda was drafted last year as their high cornerback to come in, but he still needs time to develop. Do I think this will happen? No, because they're the Detroit Lions, and they don't do anything smart or anything in the ballpark of smart. That is how bad they are. What about teams that could make a play? I like the Chargers to make a play. Chris Harris is there. He's working the slide. You have Casey Hayward and Desmond King drafted Asante Samuel. So you really don't need him, 
but he is a luxury because they've got the cap space to bring him on board, and this would solidify them as a true contender to the Chiefs, not only in that conference, but in that division as well. That would be huge. Uh, Another team could be the Pittsburgh Steelers. They traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, who was on the Dolphins, and that trade has worked out phenomenally. He's been one of the best safeties for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they really don't have a shutdown guy. This was a great defense last year. They had TJ White, Devin Bush all up there. The secondary, they've only had Minka Fitzpatrick. They don't have a true cornerback. They've got Joe Hayden. But they're not the real guys. I think if you're taking one last run with Ben Roethlisberger, then he is worth the look. Another team, the Seattle Seahawks, they are in desperate need of a cornerback too. However, they don't have the money to give Xavier, especially if they are planning on giving Jamal Adams a huge contract in the near future. I just don't see that panning out. Who would I like this trade to go to one of the teams that actually makes sense, could do it with the money, is the Arizona Cardinals. This is a trade I like because Arizona Cardinals also have a great player that's requested a, requested a trade. And Chandler Jones, Xavier Howard requested a trade. The Dolphins already are spending a lot of money other than Xavier Howard on another cornerback And Byron Jones, or Byron Maxwell, I mean. So you don't really, I mean, you love Xavier Howard, you need him, but you have money tied up there. You need pass rushers, especially on this defense, that were kind of lacking that. Why do I say the Cardinals? Well, Chandler Jones, one of the most premier pass rushers in the NFL, asked for a trade for the Cardinals. And guess what? The Cardinals, to me, are set up a linebacker. They've got J.J. Watt. They had their first-round pick, Zayvon Collins. They had their first-round pick last year. And Isaiah Simmons, you have a lot of these uh, hybrid guys. Who can fit that role and play that well? They don't have a good cornerback. They've got Malcolm Butler, uh, who made one play in the history of his career. And he hasn't made any plays since, so I have no faith in him. They have Byron Murphy. I also don't like that. pick either so a one-for-one swap or even the Cardinals adding in a fifth round pick or something like that for Xavier Howard makes sense for both teams it looks like the Cardinals are going all in uh, with the roster that they've assembled uh, building up an offensive line uh, a quarterback the wide receiver they signed J.J. Watt they signed veterans they've drafted uh, decently but Xavier Howard I think you know, with Cam Akers injured, could push them uh, to the top tier of a loaded NFC West. So I like it, but I also like this trade for the Dolphins where you get Xavier out of there, you add a premier pass rusher in Chandler Jones uh, where you can get to quarterbacks in your division uh, like Josh Allen where that is much needed to get after him. And you really... Don't want players that have made public trade requests in the locker room. It is not good for chemistry or morale or when they're not performing well. All these things just add up. So to get two unhappy guys 
to go somewhere else to where they'd be more happy and more appreciated would speak volumes. The only trepidation I have of the Arizona Cardinals is they've let defensive backs go in the past, such as Patrick Peterson, uh, Tyran Matthew. That I don't know if they value that position as much as I do, because I love myself a great trash-talking cornerback, and Xavier Howard is a great cornerback without the trash talk. So that's what I think should happen with those guys. Now, who are my top 10 cornerbacks in the game right now? The cornerback is a very important position because you are required to guard the top wide receiver on the other team. With the offense the way it is, to me, the cornerback is one of the most valuable positions, if not the most valuable position on defense, because if you don't have a good cornerback or secondary, you are most likely to get toasted by the opposing wide receiver. So having a good one is very, very key. You need him to shut down the other opponent's wide receiver, allow time for your defense, uh, defensive line to get to the quarterback. In two seconds, you can't have lost your man and have a wide receiver running open, running free. You need a good cornerback. And there's a pretty decent amount up there. To me, the number the one through nine was solidified. It was easy. The number 10 was hard. I was going through some guys such as Byron Jones for the Miami Dolphins or Carlton Davis for the Tampa Bay Bucks, but I had to lean on J.C. Jackson, cornerback for the New England Patriots. Why? Well, his grade has improved the past couple of seasons. He's young, which I like as well. Like young players, the fire that they bring, especially on their rookie contract, entering a new season. That's what I like to see when he's going to get paid soon. More motivation. No cornerback in the league. You know, has been better on deep passes of 20 yards or more. He has just allowed five targets or five receptions on 48 targets over 20 yards. And of those 48 targets, he's had 11 interceptions of those 48 So you're throwing the deep ball at J.C. Jackson. You do the math. It is not happening. J.C. Jackson is turning into one of the shutdown corners in this league. Last year had five interceptions. Year before three, year before... This past year, he had nine interceptions. My bad. Nuvis was off. He had nine interceptions. Year before five, year before three. So 17 career interceptions. Most of that done last year was brilliant. Had 40 tackles as well. One tackle for loss. Uh, He is the real deal. Had a high snap count as well last year, played in every game, was reliable with the Stefan Gilmore situation as well. You definitely 
needed him. Had 83 total targets last year. Allowed completions on just a little bit more than half, 59% completion percentage. When he's targeted for 691 yards, he allowed five touchdowns last year, but had nine interceptions. So you're throwing to J.C. Jackson, and he has more interceptions than touchdowns allowed. That is what you want to see from your cornerback, and that's what you see from J.C. Jackson. He is shut down, and that's what I want to see. That's what he gives you on an every-game basis. That's why he's number 10. Number 9, William Jackson III from the Washington football team. One of the best cornerbacks, especially in man coverage. Rookie year, 90.4 coverage grade, allowing just 30 receiving yards in 11 games. He is just allowed 52% of his passes in coverage last year in 2020. Signed with the football team all his season so far have been with the Cincinnati Bengals. But one knack on him is why he isn't higher is because he doesn't have a high interception count. Only three in his career. Never has had more than one in a single season. Uh, which is, you know, a little concerning since he is a top dog, but he is not a ball-hawking corner. He does allow a little bit more touchdowns, four touchdowns this past year, three before that and seven before that. So, you know, he is really good at his position, not allowing targets, not allowing a lot of yards, only 549. But I would like to see a few more interceptions from him. I think that'll come. The Washington football team has paid him like he's the top dog now leaving Cincinnati. You're going to face a lot more competition, especially in the NFC East with the Cowboys and the weapons they have, Amari Cooper. So it's up to him to prove that he was worth it. But since he's young, he's just got his deal. I like what I'm going to see from William Jackson this season. Number 8, Denzel Ward. And I feel like Denzel Ward is one of the most underrated cornerbacks in the league. And I think when you're drafted top 5 like he was a couple years ago, you have the ultimate buzz. Sort of like Jeff Okuda had, you know, a couple years ago too. Being drafted in the top 5 is a cornerback. Very rare. So you're expected to be great right out of the bat. Uh... So when Ward, you know, doesn't really have, you know, dominant numbers like the top dogs, but he does put up solid, consistent numbers, coverage grades of 32, allowing just 52% of passes thrown his way uh, overall in his first three seasons. He's, to me, in the top 3% of cornerbacks in terms of, you know, single coverage because he is really good. He has dealt with some injuries, but he makes key plays when he's on the field. Was selected to the Pro Bowl already in his career, his rookie year. Getting better. Again, not a ton of interceptions, 
seven on his career, only two last year as well. Uh, only allowed one uh, touchdown, though, which I think is, or my bad, he allowed four touchdowns. But to me, it's not bad. The opponent quarterback rating 78 when they target him, which is about average. Uh, 81 targets, half a completion percentage. So to me, when you look at these cornerback stats, it's hard to find the average because to me, you know, those numbers look average in terms of what the quarterback looks like. Uh, 78 passer rating, but the completion percentage was only 54% last year. But there's a lot of other quarterbacks out there which really aren't as good as the top 10 guys are, the top dogs are. And a lot of them are down below. Some people allowing completion percentages up to 70, even 80%, and very high passer ratings. But that's not part of Denzel Ward's game again. He hasn't played a full 16-game season. He's been injured every single year. He's dealt with some things. I would like to see a fully healthy Denzel Ward motivated in this system. New contract waiting for you. They just drafted another cornerback with their first round pick. You've got another guy in camp trying to take your spot. How are you going to react? On paper, you are one of the best teams in the NFL. You guys are going to have to prove it this year. Denzel Ward, you're going to have to show the top dog and be better than the 8th best cornerback on my list. I want to see him break the top 5. Number 7, Tredavious White, Buffalo Bills. He is one of the best playmaking cornerbacks in terms of interceptions, uh, uh, targets and coverage, only 17% you know, have resulted in a pass breakup or interception at the top five mark. He's a great zone coverage cornerback as well. And the top percentage of that, uh, Tredavious White, to me, is kind of like a wide receiver playing it through the lens of a cornerback. It seemed like last year, or two years ago, 2019-2020 season, he was arguably the best cornerback, the second best in the league with a league-high six interceptions of Pro Bowl, selected to the first-team All-Pro. This year took a little step back because he was now playing a different position. He was a left cornerback, where last year he was a right, but still three interceptions, 37 completions on 65 targets to his side, 454 yards, and four touchdowns against elected of a Pro Bowl this year, two-time Pro Bowler, just as many interceptions as he has touchdowns allowed, only 454 yards throughout 17 weeks, 16 games, that's what he allows, 12.3 yards completion, which to me is a high, that means every time he allows a catch, it is a first down, but it doesn't happen a lot. And when you look at 37 completions, that's just about a little over two. That's like 2.3, 2.4 completions a game. He does not allow a lot of completions at all. 
has a touchdown in his career two fumble return for a touchdown. Not saying much, except Tredavious White makes plays, 15 interceptions in his career. That's what I want to see from them. Number six, one name you might not be too familiar with, but James Bradbury, cornerback for the New York Giants. To me, the best cornerback in the NFC South, especially when it's difficult, uh, where he spent with the Panthers, you know, where you're playing against the Julio Jones and Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, where he was one of the best slot corners, took a leap uh, to a regular cornerback on the left side, or he's one of the best now with the Giants. The Giants, and now he is a pro bowler. And he does it all. What does he do? It all. That's what he does. Two forced fumbles last year from a cornerback. Covered one of them, three interceptions, 54 tackles, playing on the Giants, who weren't that good last year, but he was a standout. Was targeted a lot more than other top cornerbacks, 91 times, 56 completions on him. And that's about 10.4 yards of completion. That is how good. He is only allowed four touchdowns as well. So when you factor that in, three interceptions, a couple four fumbles, he's allowing those turnovers, causing more turnovers than he is touchdowns. Has a great coverage grade and man and zone coverage for this team, the New York Giants, who are expected to take a leap with Daniel Jones. Another year of progression projecting a Josh Allen type leap when you signed Kenny Galladay to be your top wide receiver when you have Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley coming back healthy, Sterling Shepard and on defense you have a guy like James Bradbury who's 27 started his career you know a little later been in the league five years uh he I think if this team, the Giants, want to contend in an NFC East with the Cowboys and the football team, James Bradbury has to be shut down where Dak's coming back healthy, is going to be shutting down Amari Cooper, Terry McLaurin, multiple times a year. Number five, Stefan Gilmore. This year, Took a step back, which he went from the number one spot, the best cornerback in the league, and the best defensive player, winning the Defensive Player of the Year award in 2019. He was the best for a while, but this past season, he dipped a little bit, which is why he is number five and has fallen from the number one spot. He was so good. 85 uh, grades. In coverage the past few seasons, but last year was 58. He just had one interception on two pass breakups on 42 targets, allowing a career-high 96 passer rating in coverage. Dealt with injuries 
getting older as well. Uh, who knows if he'll be able to bounce back. But to me, Stefan Gilmore in that defensive player of the year season was just so good that I just can't uh, acknowledge or get rid of the fact that he is a cornerback that's not supposed to win a defensive player of the year award. And he did. Is a Super Bowl champion. Pro Bowler. Still made it to the Pro Bowl this year in a down year. Three straight Pro Bowler. Two-time All-Pro in 18 and 19. League-high six interceptions a couple years ago. You know, with or tied with Tredavious White. That's how good he is. And as I said, he's a bit older. He's been in the league uh, since 2012. So when you're in your 30s now, as a cornerback, it does get tough because there is faster guys coming in, it seems like, every single year. And Stefan Gilmore is not the fastest guy. So on occasion, he does get burned. This was as high as completion percentage allowed. But again, 28 completions on 49 targets. Uh, even though that is his worst in a while, that is still not bad. 28 completions. There's 16 games in the season. That's not even two completions a game on Stephon Gilmore. And a lot of that has to do, because as I said, 49 targets. Coming off, be winning defensive player of the year. You're not going to get targeted a lot. Yes, you might have regressed a little bit. Allowed a couple more touchdowns. Only allowed one touchdown. I mean, come on. I'll cut him some slack when it's a down year and you allow one touchdown. You've only allowed, you know, one touchdown the past two years last year or the year before allowing zero. So I'll cut Stephon Gilmore some slack because he is locked down. He's the gilly lock for a reason. And even though it's been, you know, a little slightly downhill year, I think he's going to come back and still play great for a team like the Patriots who overall didn't play great last year and their defense was on the field more. Because, oh yeah, you don't have Tom Brady anymore. You have Cam Newton turning over the ball at a terrible rate. So yeah, I think he'll recover a little bit this year. Number four. Marlon Humphrey, Baltimore Ravens, the best slot cornerback in the NFL, where he spends most of his most of his time. Yes, he still plays a little left and right, but he's mainly a slot cornerback. And so, since he's a slot cornerback, I can't give him the number one grade because he's not on an island with the best wide receivers like some of these other cornerbacks have been. He'll line up on the left side, but he's primarily a slot corner where he still is terrific. Two-time Pro Bowler, year before this year, was first-team All-Pro selection. But this year forced eight fumbles, a league high. Last year had two fumble recoveries for touchdowns. As a cornerback, he can find ways to just get the ball, whether it's allowed on him or not. He'll strip the ball, and he just has a knack for knocking it out of a wide receiver's hands. That is really good. And again, he's targeted a lot, 106 targets on him, but only 65 completions, which is around 
allowed three touchdowns, had one interception. Uh, this guy is really good and had two and a half sacks, so he really does it all. They come off the blitz since he's working the slot. You can disguise him to not even be in coverage, and he works that off to rush the quarterback and get to the quarterback and is the best slot cornerback in the game and is a steadfast piece in this Baltimore Baltimore Ravens defense who has been one of the best. Yes, they have Marcus Peters, but Marcus Peters does get burned a lot on occasion, whereas Marlon Humphrey does not. He is sound, he is skilled, and he is very good. Number three is a man I opened up the podcast with, and that is Xavier Howard himself, one of the best playmaking quarterbacks in the NFL since entering the league. 18.7% of his targets and coverage have resulted in a pass breakup or interception, leading all cornerbacks who have been targeted at least 150 times His 2020 performance last year was the best with double-digit pass breakups and interceptions to go along with a 90% coverage grade. Xavier Howard is on an upward trend and last year had a peak year. Two-time Pro Bowler last year was a Pro Bowl and first-team All-Pro. Two times in his career he's led the league in interceptions. 2018 at 7 and last year. 2020 with 10 interceptions. The first time a cornerback has had 10 interceptions and I think 10 years or something ridiculous like that since Antonio Cromartie. 20 pass breakups. Another league high. Xavier Howard is one of the best. And still, last year, They decided to target him 101 times. They don't respect Xavier Howard. He allowed a completion percentage of 51%, which if it's 100 targets, that's just around 50. And you target him 101 times, and 10% of those are interceptions. Only allowed four touchdowns. 52 completions. I mean, this brother can do it all. He can. There's a reason why he wants more guaranteed money. Because he is one of the best out there. Been doing it consistently. A year before, had a down year with injury. But to come back, it's like, have a great Pro Bowl season. Miss some games with injury. Miss a lot of games the following season with injury. It's like, how do we feel about this guy? But then you respond by having the best cornerback season last year. That's amazing. You know, was in some defensive player of a year candidates. That's how good he is. But the thing is, I fear, is entering this season how much I want him. Is, to me, that's a peak season that he had last year I don't know if he can top it but I do like the consistency given when he's played 16 games even though that's only been twice 
in his career, but I'll still take Xavier Howard. Number two, Jair Alexander, the Green Bay Packers. 16 force completions in the three years he's been in the NFL. Ranked second in his position. Sometimes he is overly aggressive, but he just allowed 353 yards all season last season while being on the field for a majority of the snaps. Alexander Jair was also 1.4 wins above just a regular replacement player on their team, which is almost a full half win more than any other cornerback. That is how valuable he is to the Green Bay Packers, and you see the drop-off that there is. And when you look at uh, Jair going to the Pro Bowl last year, yes, he's not a ball hawk where he gets a ton of interceptions, only one but only 40 completions allowed last year on 80 targets, which is a 50% completion percentage, only allowed two touchdowns as well. So the targets are going down where the year before there was 110 of them. They dropped that down 30 because of how good he is and how much respect they have for Jair. Also forces fumbles, tackles for loss, has a couple 50 tackles, gets to the quarterback, wraps his receivers up. Jair, again, going into a contract year, is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. And it just seems like Packers will always be in problems with players that need contracts. Just resolved an Aaron Rodgers situation. I don't know if that you would say that is fully resolved, though. You have... Devontae Adams, who wants to be the highest paid in the league at his position. Darius Smith, linebacker, who's not happy with his contract situation. Jair's going to need a new contract. The Packers are not built on money. So who knows what will happen. But Jair should and will be paid like one of the best, if not the best and highest paid cornerbacks in the league. Now, let's get to the top dog, and that is Jalen Ramsey, cornerback for the Los Angeles Rams. It's tough to find a team that has a number one at two positions, and that's what the Rams have. The best defensive lineman, which I said in Aaron Donald on my previous podcast uh, last week, and now Jalen Ramsey, number one at cornerback. Two of those best players being at defense. Never has had a grade lower than 70 since he's come into the league, which is great considering especially the teams take advantage of rookies. He had eight receptions allowed in week one last year against Dallas. But the remainder of his season just allowed 24 receptions giving up fewer than 25 receiving yards in 11 games. Jalen Ramsey is the real deal. Last year, selected to the Pro Bowl and was first-team All-Pro. In his career, he's been selected to four Pro Bowls and has been to two 
team all pros. One interception last year, one interception the year before uh, for the Rams, split between them and Jacksonville. Again, doesn't face a lot of targets. As I said, 71 targets, 36 completions. Eight of those were in the first game. But since then, he did not do it at all. And he only allowed two touchdowns last year to one interception. That is tremendous. Only a 50% completion percentage allowed on him. A passer rating of 68, which is very low. So Jalen Ramsey is the best cornerback in the game. The premier top dog. The guy you want out there making plays because that's what he does. Ultimate competitor. Ultimate trash talker as well. Gets into the heads of other wide receivers. The Amari Coopers, the DK Metcalfs, uh, the DeAndre Hopkins, even though he has respect for some of those guys like DeAndre and Devontae Adams. That was probably his worst game of the season. Was in the playoffs for the Rams where he did allow a touchdown, one of those two of those, or one of those touchdowns on Devontae Adams. But Jalen is the best, switching his number to number five, like Florida State. So will we get vintage Jalen Ramsey? Who knows? But he is the top dog. And to be on a team like the Rams, who are contending for the Super Bowl. You need him on your team when you face wide receivers on a weekly basis in a tough division. The DK Metcalfs, the DeAndre Hopkins, George Kittle. That's what Jalen Ramsey is up against. And he has proven to be the best because he is going up against the best. So those are my top 10 cornerbacks. J.C. Jackson, William Jackson, Denzel Ward. Tredavious White, James Bradbury, and then my top five are five, Stephon Gilmore, four, Marlon Humphrey, three, Xavier Howard, two, Jair Alexander, and number one, Jalen Ramsey. Now, quick more NFL. The Madden ratings have came out for some of the players or some of the positions, not all of them. I'm just going to give a brief wide receivers I respect. I did my wide receiver rankings a couple weeks ago, and it was all in line with what I said. Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyree Kill, Stephon Diggs, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, you know, Mike Evans, Allen Robinson, they were all in there. I had nothing wrong with them at all. Uh, defensive tackle. As well, you know, Aaron Donald has been the premier guy, is still the best. Fletcher Cox is up there, Chris Jones, all guys that I thought would be in there. So I'm fine with that. The major position that I have a problem with is running back. Why is that? Well, Christian McCaffrey is the highest Rated running back in the game at a 97. Played in five games last year and is the highest rated running back 
Last year, the best running back was Derrick Henry. And he's tied for second in the game with Nick Chubb. Yes, Nick Chubb was my fourth best running back. He should not be tied with Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry should sure not be below Christian McCaffrey. Derrick Henry should be a 99. When I look at the things, speed and acceleration are all close to Christian McCaffrey. The only reason they gave it to Christian McCaffrey is because he does more out of a backfield. But the strength, awareness is all better on Derrick Henry. His stiff arming is trucking. He was just the league leading rusher the past two years. League leading touchdowns last year. Great plays for a running back. Almost broke the rushing record last year. You know, is more valuable, I think, to their team by that position is Derrick Henry. So for him not to get the respect he deserves, and, you know, players think about it in Madden. DeAndre Hopkins was one short of Devontae Adams for the best wide receiver. And, you know, he's tweeted saying, if you're not first, you're last, duly noted. So some of these people do take into account that, hey, people are undervaluing me and they're out on a mission. Derrick Henry is great and will be great this season, even if Madden is disrespecting him. Now, time to get in to some NHL and some of the key uh, signings and trades that have been happening, and I'm just going to break down a couple of them. One, yesterday, Marc-Andre Fleury was traded by the Vegas Golden Knights to the Chicago Blackhawks. And Marc-Andre Fleury didn't even find out by management that he was leaving. He found out via Twitter. That's how low Vegas, this management is, head coach Peter DeBoer is. That's how low that they have gone. Terrible, terrible move by Vegas, the reigning best goalie in the league, Vesna Trophy winner, and you trade him. It's not to me. It wasn't even a trade. Mikel Herrick. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. An AHL player who's not good. Not good. That's basically a goodwill donation that the Vegas just did to the Blackhawks. How dare Vegas do that? The face of the franchise. The face of Vegas. One of the best goalies in the league. One of the best professionals in the league. And the way he handles himself, handles his business, even though his agent has done various things. Not a player more liked than Marc-Andre Fleury, but somehow a player that has been disrespected occasion after occasion by this franchise. The Vegas Golden Knights didn't deserve Flurry at all. I'm happy he's gone. I no longer get to root for the Vegas Golden Knights because of the way they treated him. So Marc-Andre Fleury, I wish him nothing but the best. And Vegas, I hope you don't win a championship, and I bet you'll never will. With the terrible head coach that you have in Peter DeBoer, who has lost finals before with the Sharks, you know, has choked it away with Vegas with great teams, uh, just a bad coach, management has been bad. Now, 
since uh, Gerald Gallant has left. Now he's with the Rangers. So Vegas, hasta la vista. You're done. Bye. And if his trade works out for the Blackhawks and Marc-Andre Fleury plays, this could be a real bright spot for them. What else? Pavel Buchnevich signed a four-year deal worth about $5 million a year for the Blues. I think they, he would have taken less to stay with the Rangers. I thought he was a great player. Very concerning, but great deal for the Blues. Ovechkin gets five years at around $9.5 million deal a year. So that keeps him there with the Capitals for the rest of his life. Then later too, Tyler Johnson and a second round pick of the Lightning were traded to the Blackhawks for Brent Seabrook. They ditch Brent Seabrook and his injury and his uh, money issues, his high contract. Dump that to Tampa Bay, which I don't know why Tampa Bay would accept that. For paying him, but the Blackhawks do acquire somebody not as high, but they will get probably more value in Tyler Johnson. Gabriel Landeskog uh, signed the rest of his career to the Avalanche with an eight-year deal worth about $7 million a year to re-sign their captain. Other news, Evgeny Dadanov. Who had kind of a down year for the Senators this past year, but has been really good at a great goal scorer, was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Some of that cap room they wanted to open up by trading Flurry for Nick Holden and a third rounder. Definitely makes their offense a lot better. Still have a great defense, but when your goalie situation is eh, you really won't be that good. Alex Goligowski of the Coyotes signed with the Wild, a defensive end who has been on the decline, has left him, but the Coyotes just did get Anton Strahlman the other day, a second-round pick from the Florida Panthers. So again, Coyotes are always making moves and have been somehow the most, I don't know if you want to call them active team in free agency because they're not actively pursuing teams, but in terms of how busy they've been, you can definitely say they've been one of the busiest teams. Braden Holpe signed with the Dallas Stars uh, to create some more competition there, which is never a problem. Brock McGinn of the Carolina Hurricanes signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins, which replaces their hole in Brandon Tanev, and they signed him for cheaper two in less years. So we'll see how that kind of works out in their bottom six. Philip Deneau, the star center for the Montreal Canadiens in this postseason run, has signed with the Kings. I think that is a great signing for the Kings, uh, who have drafted well, have a lot of good rookies. Now you have a young guy in Deneau, who's also great and has just got off a Stanley Cup loss to see how he sort of plays there with the Kings, mentors the younger guys there, but I think that was a great signing. Vinny Henestroza, who played decent for the Blackhawks last year, left for the Buffalo Sabres. Don't know why anybody would leave for the Buffalo Sabres. And one another big one is a re-sign slash extending, which Braden Point of the Tampa Bay Lightning 
signed an eight-year deal worth about $9.5 million a year. Huge contract for Braden Point. They have a lot of money tied up to Braden Point, Stamkos, Kucherov, and Hedman. Hopefully it works out because they've had people gone now in Barclay Goodrow and Tyler Johnson and Blake Coleman who signed with the Calgary Flames. So a lot of trading that has been done. A lot of signing. It's still not over yet. We'll see how this all goes. In terms of the MLB, the Giants and the Dodgers, the two best teams in the baseball season, are playing another series once again. Yesterday with a crazy ending, Cody Bellinger overthrowing the third baseman, which was the reason why the Giants won that game. was insane. It was crazy there at Petco Park. The Giants are doing a lot better now this part of the season than they did earlier against the Dodgers, which is great because these two teams look like they're on a destiny to meet in the postseason. Great pitching matchup tonight. Walker Bueller, who is 10-1 for the Dodgers against Anthony DeSclafani for the Giants, who is 10-4. Very even pitching matchup. I think, again, another great game between the Dodgers and the Giants for this sort of NL supremacy. The Oakland A's traded uh, a great prospect for Starling Marte of the Miami Marlins, who's an outfielder. Marte is an all-star, great player. And the A's kind of did that to solidify their position. And to me, is a great move because they're in the second wild card game or second wild card spot. And to me, that's the one truly up for grabs when you have Seattle a game back, the Yankees two and a half games back, and the A's want to create some more space between those two teams. And to me, it's just the Yankees sitting around where we called on him but didn't want to make a move. Hopefully they end up making a move before it's too late and it's moveless and I have to go off on Aaron Boone and the Yankees yet again. Oh, another thing I wanted to mention regarding the NHL 2 before I conclude is the Seattle Kraken signed Philip Grubauer to a six-year deal. Looks like he is their starting goaltender. You know, was a Vesna finalist as well. His best season with the Colorado Avalanche. This hurts the Avalanche and helps the Kraken a lot, so we'll see how this plays out. And the last thing I want to mention is Simone Biles. Simone Biles has received a lot of support and a lot of criticism yesterday and today for pulling out of the Olympics uh, for mental health reasons. Uh, And I feel for Simone Biles as I thought about this before, you know, people were writing articles and things about this. She's 24 years old and is considered the GOAT, the GOAT of gymnastics. She's been great, hasn't lost a world championship, I believe, since 2013. Has won her Olympics of uh, Rio in 2016, 
of course, now won't win anything this year, but she is still the GOAT. And when else have we ever proclaimed a GOAT at 24 years old or said she's widely the greatest? It's like there's no debate with Simone Giles, Simone Biles. She is the greatest of all time. She carries the weight of the gymnastics team and really the whole U.S. too when you think about it there when Michael Phelps is no longer here or some of these bigger names, LeBron for USA and it's Simone Biles. All eyes are on her. She's a star of the Olympics. She's a show regardless of the sport. She's a GOAT and again only 24 Michael Jordan was never the GOAT at 24. We considered LeBron the GOAT at 24. Didn't consider Tom Brady the GOAT at 24. Wayne Gretzky the GOAT at 24. Tiger Woods the GOAT at 24. Jack Nicklaus the GOAT at 24. We just didn't. And some of those guys, we still have debates on if they're even the GOAT or not. It's, It's not an undisputed fact, whereas with Simone Biles, it is an undisputed fact that she is the greatest of all time. To me, on the Mount Rushmore of goats, if I had to just pick four goats, Simone would be up there. That's how good she is, and she's had a lot to deal with in terms of injuries in her career that she still fought through and went through, uh, you know, sexual assault by the Michigan State trainer. So she's had a lot to deal with. Uh, and a lot to overcome in her lifetime, which is still relatively short at 24. So she's been through a lot. And she has this heavy weight on her shoulders. So I feel for Simone Biles a lot more than I do anyone else in this uh, sort of way. Uh, I know a lot of people are comparing her to Naomi Osaka, But I do feel that these are two very different situations. Uh, You had Naomi uh, pull out. Yes, she stated it was for mental health reasons. But she just didn't want to do part of her job that was in her contract or anything uh, like that. Which is talking to the media, growing the sport. A lot of it, you know, contractually stated And she kind of made this big ordeal, and now I guess she's fine because she's back playing and back talking to everybody. Uh, But bottom line is she just didn't want to talk to anybody. Whereas Simone has dealt with much more in her lifetime than Naomi Osaka. And she still talks to the media. She took mental health from not doing her sport of the Olympics, but still opened up about it to reporters and talked about it, whereas hers was sport-related and actual doing her flips and jumps for gymnastics and the Olympic team, whereas Naomi wanted to keep on playing tennis, but she took the break because it was for the reporters and the mental health. So to me, two very different scenarios and situations and how they played out. Have a lot more respect for Simone Biles than I do Naomi Osaka and a lot of other athletes. I wish Simone nothing but the best. Again, 
She is the GOAT. The title of his show is Get Your Goat. That's it. Simone, you're great. You always have my support. That's it. Bye, everybody.